This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Recording. Episode 226 with Mitzi Perdue. The one and only human trafficking, well not the one and only, <laughs> but yeah, the one and only human trafficking fighter in America at 79 years old. Yeah, you have that. Not, to my knowledge, the UN recognizes... 2,000 anti-trafficking organizations, and depending on the cutoff of the size of ones that aren't recognized by the United Nations, there are at least 40,000. So, you know, I, I am not unique in this field, but I do think that there is a limited number of, of women who are 79 who are part of this, and I love being my age. Yeah. So I've got no problem telling everybody, 79, everybody. Yeah, yeah, well, it's, it's yeah, no, you are you are more apt and sharp than most 49-year-old people I know, so that's just a number. I do love you, Tommy. By the way, <laughs> so that our listeners and uh, viewers know, Tommy Carrigan is going to be so famous in just a few years. He's going to be the next Joe Rogan. And if you're listening right now, congratulations, because you're part of discovering the next Joe Rogan. Thank you, Missy. Well, now I am blushing. So now it's, now I look, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Missy. God willing, deal yeah. With deal and, with it. Yes, I will. And yeah, everybody listening, get in early. Please, if you have any interesting <laughs> guests, comment, leave a comment, email Podcast at gmail.com. Send me a guest. I don't care who it is. I'll make an episode out of them. But right now, we've touched on human trafficking the last two episodes, and people have responded wildly to it. And you're the second video. So the remember the first time I tried to run an ad on Facebook, and Facebook wouldn't let me? And I said, why? This isn't political. It's human trafficking. Well, the second time I ran an ad, I started with the title, Facebook is censoring anti-human trafficking ads. You're kidding me. It got right through. <laughs> they let it go right through, and they said, just change the title, and they went back to the original title. But yeah, I, I put a knife in their ribs, and they let it go right through. So That's astonishing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, but I'm glad it did go through. Yeah. Because I'm, I am really eager to talk about this, because, yeah. and, you know, it's a really dark subject, yeah. but the people that I know who get into it know that they're doing so much good and preventing so much suffering mm-hmm. that... If you do get into it, uh, you're going to feel good about what you do. Because you know, my own theory of what life's about is increasing happiness and decreasing misery. And I cannot imagine a topic where an individual has a greater chance of decreasing misery. Yeah. And I'm going to make a bet that if somebody isn't already familiar with human trafficking, that these are words that just sort of glide by. I mean, uh, human trafficking, what does that mean? And the reason I know that that's likely to be the case for many, many, many of our our listeners is that a year and a half ago, let's see, we're talking April of 2019, to me the word human trafficking would just glide by. I didn't know what it meant. Um, It sounded awful, but Mm -hmm. uh, who knows? And, And it wouldn't be a focus of attention. But then there's something that happened that just rearranged my life. I saw something that I couldn't unsee. 
and it was a video. Uh, it was part of a lecture that I heard by a guy named Paul Hutchinson, and he showed videos of it was. I'm going to guess maybe 20 little girls from Colombia, where he had this spectacular raid, which interrupted what was on its way to being an orgy of using these little girls uh, for sex. And I looked at their faces, and I'm a grandmother. I've got a granddaughter roughly that age. And you, know, you, you look at the faces, and between despair and terror, it's something that you can't unsee. Well, so that left me, the word human trafficking meant a lot more to me after seeing what these little girls were up against. Well, that particular story has a happy ending because uh, using paramilitary and retired military people, they actually had a full-scale rescue and their perpetrators ended up in jail. Yay. Awesome. But, but that did mean that I started wanting to know more about human trafficking. And here's what I learned about those little girls. A little girl who's trafficked, and she, you know, let's say she's 12 years old. She's going to be forced to have sex with strangers 10 or 12 times a night. And that's 365 days a year. She may be violated 3,000 times in the course of a year. And can you imagine the pain and misery first for her but then think of her parents, you know, her mother. I've, I've talked with people since who've had children who were trafficked and they tell me, you know, there's, there's never a happy hour in the parent's day, or in this case, the mother's day, because it, trafficking, it's, it's unbelievably ghastly for the woman or the boy who's being trafficked, but it's also the end of the world for the parents. I mean, it just rips a hole in the lives of, of all the family members as well. I, I I started thinking that this is the worst horror that human beings can do to each other. I mean, because, you know, rape, just one rape can influence a person's life for the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. But imagine 3,000 rapes in a year. And then I learned what the, what the life expectancy of a child who's been trafficked. I mean, they probably won't live... Th- seven years and what's going to happen to them and by the way i promise this is going to get lighter just visit the dark part with me for a moment but in in fact i'm telling how dark it is to tell how important it is when when we can change that well when the child uh is raped let's say 12 times a night 365 days a year and whether she has her period or not her life expectancy her life is going to get short, cut short by an overdose or suicide or disease or more recently organ harvesting. Jesus. It's true. It is true. So that that I mean, can you possibly imagine anything darker than what I've no. just been describing? No, I was thinking like what would be if you tried to just check off to go through a checklist and make the most evil thing, what would it be? It would be the kidnapping, multi, be the kidnapping and mental torture of children and their parents, followed by a plethora of rapes every day for a year, culminating in someone getting rich off their sale and then their life ending short via drug overdose, suicide, or organ harvesting. That's 
I mean, I don't really know. I really don't think it can. Like, I really. Let me give you some statistics to go along with this. And the statistics I'm going to share, they all come from the United Nations. The UN, the International Labor Organization. I've seen that it's at least 40 million people who are enslaved. And the economics of this is spectacularly evil. In fact, I call it the evil equation. Mm -hmm. The, uh, the, The three biggest sources of revenue for criminal activity for the cartels, they are, and I'm not giving them them in an order, but there's uh, illegal drug sales, there's illegal weapon sales, and there's human trafficking. And when when a year and a half ago, human trafficking rated third at $150 billion a year. It's right now second, and I think drug trafficking is first. But Imagine $150 billion a year. And then, you know, for just, for mind-boggling injustice, the, what I'm about to tell you right now comes from an NYPD guy that I talked with. He told me that if, if a trafficker, or let's call him a pimp just to use more general terms, if a pimp has four girls and he's operating in New York City, his income will be a million dollars a year. So there's all this suffering, and then the bad guy is getting rich, and he's not paying taxes on this. He's, and then he's probably paying some protection money to people mm-hmm. higher up mm-hmm. until the people at the top of this pyramid of collecting money from traffickers, they're making billions of dollars. That's, yeah, I, I mean, mean, that's... that's... If, if we're going to get into injustice, there... The suffering is as extreme as it can get, and the profits are as extreme as they can get. So I call the evil equation of human trafficking inconceivably huge profits, almost no deterrence, because the odds of a trafficker doing jail time are, globally speaking, less than one in a hundred. So with complete impunity, they're wrecking people's lives in the most evil possible way, and human trafficking is explosive. I can't swear that what I'm about to say is, I don't have first-hand knowledge of it, but I've been told by somebody who works in the field that COVID-19 has resulted in a 40% increase in human trafficking. And you might think, how could that possibly be? You know, I my my expectation was gonna be that that it would go down because of you know social distancing and people being afraid of catching the disease. Nope. Uh, COVID-19 has caused up to a billion out of our 7 billion people on the planet to fall into an extreme poverty. And when there's extreme poverty, people will do anything to make a living. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this person I was talking to thinks that trafficking has increased by 40% because of COVID-19. Good Lord in heaven. And it's... I mean, this is I, this is just more wild speculation. So, with a grain of salt, but I mean, yeah, I mean, what are two fat? I mean, where is the organ harvesting capital of the world? And where did COVID? Yeah, I agree. And where did COVID arise? I'm not going to make any more distinctions between that, for fear of YouTube going full gulag and censoring me. But I mean, those are two objective facts. Where is the center of organ harvesting? 
per capita and percentage, or sorry, percentage and gross, and where did COVID? I don't know, but I mean, if it's an evil equation, I mean, you can jack up your 150 billion by 40 percent. Good Lord. Okay, so, you know, I, I said that I'd, I'd get into something more upbeat because okay. uh, there's so much that individuals can do about it. Human trafficking flourishes because people aren't aware enough of it. Uh, and the, the traffickers are so deliberate about, about keeping people quiet. Like I was talking with another guy from the NYPD, New York Police Department, who was telling me, the, the traffickers are just so good at first from keeping the girls from escaping uh, and second, and pop, well, just another factor that's inconceivably horrible is that they will keep the girls from testifying against them. And this NYPD guy was telling me that he visited a girl in the hospital where her trafficker had taken a bottle of Corona beer. I love Corona beer, so I'm not out to say anything bad against them, but the, this is the story. Yeah. He took one of those glass bottles of Corona beer that has a nice long neck. He whacked it against the uh, the curb. We're talking New York City. Uh, broke it off, then held the girl with who was trying to escape from him, held her in a vice-like grip where with his his arm, his elbow, he's holding her head against his chest, you know, like in a vice-like grip. And then he takes this smashed neck of the Corona beer bottle and he goes from her eye to her chin. And she had 42 stitches. Now you would think that that girl would testify against the guy who did it. Or she's in the hospital, in theory, she's safe. She's talking with a policeman who you know, wants to help her. She wouldn't speak. She wouldn't tell him. Uh, she, I mean, she, she, he, he, she told him what happened, but she wouldn't, she wouldn't finger the guy who did it. And when she left, the NYPD guy has ways of knowing that she went right back to being trafficked by that guy. I mean, they're, they're, he, he told me that they'll threaten like your baby brother, mm -hmm. or they'll they'll threaten to kill your parents, mm -hmm. or uh, you know they just have ways of keep, keeping people from testifying. Mm -hmm. Okay, now now let's get to some good stuff. Okay. Uh, the evil equation is that there's no deterrence and there's fantastic profits, but the country of Taiwan has just a brilliant way that I want the rest of the world to copy. Uh, Taiwan has done something so brilliant from the. I believe from the president of the country on down, they've made it a priority to do something about human trafficking. And they're recognized by the US State Department as just being an outstanding example. And here's what they do. They have budgeted enough money to have safe houses. And I think it's like a complex of houses where if a girl is trafficked, when they rescue her, They'll put her in this safe house for, it, it could be for half a year until she gets to testify against the bad guy. And if they, if they need to have her family in there as well, they will. And during the time while they're developing the case against the trafficker, she's perfectly safe, but she's also being taught uh, skills where she can earn her own living. Because one of the terrible problems is you rescue a girl who's been trafficked and she has no skills and she 
Now yeah. she she needs food, she needs shelter. She'll go back to making a living the only way that she knows, even though that's the worst yeah. possible nightmare for her. You know, starvation, beatings, rapes. But she'll do even that in order to have a roof over her head and food in, in her in her mouth. But so here's what Taiwan's done. It's broken that cycle of the girls being unwilling to testify against their traffickers because they simply are safe. They're guests of the government until the person who's threatening them is behind, behind bars. And the net result of that, and I hope I have these statistics right, but don't hold me to them because they're kind of from memory. But I, I visited Taiwan and I talked with the, the uh, retired police officer who was in charge of this. I, I think he, I mean, he may have been, have been in the head of, of the Taipei police force, but he told me that they had 463 convictions that means 463 guys off the streets. But he said even better than that, the traffickers now have to keep in mind that what was never true before is true now, that they may they may be in jail for 10 or 15 years. Yeah. And so suddenly there's a deterrence and trafficking just drops. And, and our State Department recognizes that, that this approach works. So if only we could get countries throughout the world to budget for providing safe houses for for girls or boys who are trafficked until they can testify so that there's a deterrence. Well, that's one factor in the evil equation. Okay. That's the factor of that there's no deterrence because people are scared to testify against the traffickers. The other, ha the other factor is that simply extraordinary extraordinary profits i mean 150 billion dollars yeah. yeah you can yeah i mean there, there there are many countries that that don't have anywhere near that income and in this case it's tax-free and the people just oh and it's tightly interwound with arms trafficking and drug trafficking so if you can attack the uh the income for the people at the top of the pyramid who are raking in billions and billions of dollars but how would you do it well, just recently, and what I'm about to share with our listeners and our viewers, I don't, uh, I can tell you the overall sort of outline of the solution, okay. but I'm not sure I've got the details right. I have to do a lot more digging, sure. but directionally, I'm certain that I'm right. And here goes. There's, there's a group, it's the International Fraud Group, it gets called in uh, and probably for the last 15 or 20 years when a big company has a problem with counterfeiters and I'll, I'll, I'll tie this back to human trafficking in a moment but hypothetically supposing you're Microsoft actually I think it is Microsoft we're talking about but in case I'm wrong let's just say a big computer company sure. named Microsoft named Microsoft <laughs> well Big computer company is getting ripped off to the tune of tens of millions, maybe a hundred million dollars a year because people copy their software. And they hire people to, to shut this down, but it's whack-a-mole because you know, there's one guy who has lots of copies of Office or Excel or whatever, mm -hmm. and they sell the disks out of the trunk of their car, and uh, you you shut him down and you know, yeah. five others just come up again. Yeah. 
So the International Fraud Group had the idea, you know, you're, you're attacking it on a retail level. Let's go farther up the pyramid mm -hmm. to the wholesale level, mm -hmm. the people who are really making the money. Mm -hmm. They discovered that maybe there were 20 crime families that were part of the software counterfeiting and using military grade expertise in maneuvering in the dark web, using artificial intelligence, taking advantage of big data, they were able to, to, I, well, crack the, the, the way that the bad guys have of keeping their money, their $150 billion. No, I, wait, I've, I've got to back up because we're still talking computers. They had ways of tracking the software counterfeiters where they could show with absolute certainty they could go to a bank that was handling the transactions of these 20 big guys who were responsible for virtually all the counterfeiting. Uh, the, you know, they'd distribute their counterfeit discs down to like street level, the mm -hmm. guy who's selling it from the back of his trunk mm -hmm. of his car. Mm -hmm. The people who were really making the money and were the 20 families that were responsible for, how about all of it? This, the International Fraud Group could find the, uh, the transactions and they could prove to the bank that was handling the transactions, you realize you're handling hot money. Your money yeah, laundering. Yeah. Now the bank has an and actually there are several banks involved, but every one of them had an extreme motivation for freezing the account and allowing the big computer company to seize it. Mm -hmm. Because and here's the motivation that the bank has: uh, if you can prove beyond any shadow of the doubt, which they are able to do that you're doing money laundering, that the reputational damage to the bank is an extinction level event. Yeah. The bank wants to cooperate. And, and even supposing the bank didn't want to cooperate, then they're up against fines and maybe even being shut down. So the bank just will do everything they can to cooperate as fast as they can. And in the case of the giant computer company, they found that for every dollar that they invested in, uh, in, paying for high, ultra high level, as I said, military grade experts who could track down the big guys and seize the accounts, uh, they, they made 20 to $30. So it was okay. just a fantastic investment for the bank. Okay. And this is true of, of a whole lot of other organizations that are up against counterfeits, drug companies, for instance. And I've heard the name Pfizer, but I won't swear that Pfizer's one of them, but I kind of think it is. They pay people to find out and, and uh, seize, freeze and seize the assets of the counterfeiters. And guess what? The counterfeiter's up against a terrible problem because first of all, he's not getting his 30 or $50 million that he was hoping for. But then on top of that, he's got a whole ecosystem of uh, like lawyers and yeah. accountants yeah. and administrative support that he can't pay. Yeah. And it becomes just a, a total bust for him. And the big software company whose name Microsoft, I haven't been mentioning. <laughs> I, I know I'm directionally right in this, even if the details aren't correct, but the, uh, the counterfeiters go elsewhere because it's no longer a viable business yeah. uh, model for them. If, if they work hard illegally and make all this money and then the big software company 
takes it. Just, just I mean, it's, it, it shuts it down. Yeah. So it's an extraordinarily effective model. Mm-hmm. But the model only works when there's an industry that's being damaged, mm-hmm. like a big pharmaceutical company, a big software company, because they, they will self-finance yes. the cure. Yes. And you can't count on local law enforcement to do it, even though they'd love to do it. But local law enforcement doesn't have the transnational reach that an international group would be. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, they're, they're stretched as thin as can be with you know, rapes and murders and arson and yeah. whatever other local thing yeah. that they're trying to put a lid on. And they, I mean, they they do not have disposable income to, to solve Microsoft's problem. Yeah. Well, what if, what if we could do something similar with human trafficking? Now, the great big obstacle to this is the victims of human trafficking aren't like one company, like mm-hmm. a pharmaceutical company mm-hmm. that, that can, can self-fund yeah. the, the cure for their problem. So how do, you, how do you get 40 million people who are being trafficked, how do you get them to fund, like, let's say it's a retired FBI guy or a retired special ops guy, um, and you know, people bid for these guys. I mean, I've heard of, of one person who gets a quarter of a million dollars a year for his expertise. Uh, how do you get them? How do you how do you get a big pool of money to attack a, a global transnational problem? Mm-hmm. And it occurred to me, and this is this is brainstorming at this point. And boy, if if any of our listeners or viewers have ideas on this, please contact me, Mitzi at MitziPurdue.com. And Purdue is spelled like chicken, not like the university. It's P-E-R-D-U-E. I'll put that in the description. MitziPurdue.com. What if there's a huge charity that would would fund this, or maybe a conglomeration of, of charities, and since it's hot money and it's certainly not going to go back to the traffickers, I mean, in theory, there could be tens of billions of dollars, which A, could be plowed back into the foundation to even expand hiring more and more people Mm -hmm. until you seriously interrupt the the business model of the traffickers. Mm -hmm. It could be. Or, yeah, possibly, again, when when you've got tens... $20, $50 $20, $50 billion that are at stake, and maybe it's even $150 billion that, that goes through banks through hot money, uh, maybe that money could go help fund some of the tra- anti-trafficking organizations, mm-hmm. some of the rescue operations, some of the rehabilitation operations. But the thing that has to happen is there has to be some large foundation or consortium of foundations that would fund the research to interfere with the with the extraordinary profits that human trafficking generates right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now I'll wind down and listen to you. I've monologued for far too no, long. No, no, no. That was no. Please, no. Please keep going. That's I'm um, I'm I'm standing. I'm staring because I'm hooked. It's how do you? So how do you do that though? How do you get that consortium of everyone together to pull the money that has, as you said, like you said, the same way of. These huge corporations that have excellent um, security measures because they essentially can hire away ex counterintelligence guys, right? Because there's a yeah. motive. You're taking their money, but you're right. There's no, there's no legal human trafficking. Like that's like, hey, you guys are cutting in on our goods. It's 
how do you get that outside source? How do you... Yeah. Well, I'll tell you my, my tentative plan, but if somebody can come up with a better plan, uh, and this is sort of brainstorming, and I don't know I can pull it off, but I'm going to give it everything I've got. Sure. Uh, it occurred to me that if I could give a TED Talk, and you have to audition to even give a TED Talk, mm-hmm. and most TED Talks don't have huge audiences. I mean, yeah. we hear about the ones that have 10 million, but, yeah. but most TED Talks actually don't have huge yeah. audiences. But what if I could give a good enough TED Talk uh, and propose this? And, all right, this this is... Well, Frank Perdue used to say, along with loads of other people who say the same thing, uh, go big or go home. Mm-hmm. Well, why not dream of getting five million people to watch this? And then I would use that as sort of um, a foot in the door to call on the Ford Foundation or, or any of the other big ones and say... Uh, look, five million people are interested in this. Would you please pay attention and consider it? Mm-hmm. And and I said that I was giving it my all. I have hired and I'm already using a TED Talk coach. Mm-hmm. I've also, although I haven't begun yet, um, hired a voice coach because your voice is just so important for for convincing people or, mm-hmm. or making people want to listen. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm bad, but I think that I could... I mean, what if I could get 50% better? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then and then I bet you didn't know this, and I bet our, our listeners or viewers don't know this, but do you realize there's actually people who study what makes things go viral? I mean, it's, it's almost like a profession, and I've hired no, – I didn't hire. Uh, it's, it's volunteer. There's, there's a person who's volunteering to help me with – to inject into the TED Talk that I want to give mm-hmm. uh, elements that would make it go viral, yeah. including visual ones. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a neuroscientist who's, who's really big on what crops into your mind and sticks, and yeah. he's advising me. And I figure, you know, I'll take all the help that I yeah. can get. Yeah. Anybody who has ideas for how to make the world's best viral TED Talk the goal of which is to attack one of the worst scourges that afflicts humanity. Uh, I'd sure like to hear from you. And again, that's Mitzi, M-I-T-Z-I, at MitziPurdue.com. That's uh, that's the way you got to go about it, though. You're right. Is you got to take it like a military, like a military operation. You know, it's it's like if you ever see like behind the scenes or something in like the NFL or the NBA. And like you see them out, you're like, sure, these guys practice around the clock, but you see in the locker rooms and it's just like different things they're doing or different therapeutic things they're doing or different. And you're like, you're like, what the heck is that? And you realize you're like, oh, these businesses, because each team is a corporation, like they have billions to throw at different therapies and stretching. And it's because it's it's a game of inches, literally and figuratively, where they're like, yeah, push they're it They're giving it everything they've got. I'm giving it everything I've got. Yeah. I mean... I mean, even to, to the extent of trying to improve my voice. And yeah. by the way, I haven't started with a voice coach yet, but I do know that, that they like you to like vary your pitch or speak softly mm-hmm. or speak loudly mm-hmm. or talk rapidly or, or talk slowly. Things that you may have no idea why you like to listen to one person rather than another. Yeah. But they, they use all these techniques yeah, and well, I want to use them all. Well, I've, I've I said you do have a relaxing voice, and that's not that's 
that's something some people have. And they've actually broken it down into a science, and it's ASMR, autonomic, auto, autonomic sensory meridian response. And it's it helps it helps people it helps people relax. It helps some people use it for sleep. But I, I mean, I remember experiencing it the first time I ever experienced it. I was like seven, and I just remember my kindergarten teacher was explaining something to me, and I realized that it wasn't even what she was explaining. You know, it was like addition. But I was just like hooked on listening because I was very very relaxed and there's it's what works for some people doesn't work for other people but some people can just talk very well in a way that i don't even know if it can be learned i think it's just how you do it i've there well, a couple, about it. i mean yeah I, i've i've tagged you as the next joe rogan and it's it's partly because you've got a great voice oh thank you but then on top of that you ask great questions and you you you're responsive i mean uh you've got it you've got it you're, you're just... oh, i want to sh- i wanted to share on, uh, while we're on the subject sure. of voice i'm a member of the national speakers association and they have all these wonderful events where speakers can go and up their game well one of these it, it was a it was a national convention where i heard the following there was this guy and he stood up in front of probably two or three three thousand people and he spoke in absolute gibberish um there, there was not one word that was an english word although it kind of sounded um it's it sounded like english mm-hmm. but everybody was in the we were all on the edge of our chairs listening to him because you know he'd have this intonation he'd 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 you know, his voice would rise and fall and it would just carry you along. And he did it without saying a single word in any known language. <laughs> but it, and the point of all this was to convince us how important voice is. Yeah. That somebody talking nonsense can have you hooked. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, if there's, no, if there's proof of it, that's it. Yeah, just not even saying anything in a known language, just... Because it, it can all be broken down into a science, and it's everything can be broken down. I mean, I know I know McDonald's puts their the benches in their restaurants. They put them at like a two degree angle down, and it's because they want you to come in, right? And they want you to buy, and but once you sit down, once you've bought your product and you're eating, you're dead weight to them. You're no longer buying anything. Now you're just taking up their room, using their bathrooms. So they want you to come in. They use everything to pull you in. You know the colors and the smells and the whatever. But their seats are actually designed for you to not stay there any longer than you finish your meal, but then you don't you don't do this and relax. It's they want you sitting there and just unconsciously just going like let's leave. Because you're not enjoying it. But every little thing can be point of that is is it can all be broken down into a science, right? It's like you like rhymes and alliteration, it's shown that it acts as like those are like natural scaffolding for your brain. Like you will remember things, you know, that's why there's acronyms, that's why there's, you know, we're in 1492, Columbus, the ocean blue. It's little things that you remember. Please excuse my dear Aunt Sally, that instead of parentheses, exponents, you know, it's... So, yeah, I mean, that's the way to go about it. And to really wrap it around, that's how you have to face these people, these human traffickers, who are also going at it with a military operation mindset. They're not just, they're not just winging it. Hey, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. I mean, when you're literally trafficking human cargo... They are cutting every corner they can, or in your case, cutting that woman's face. It's so literal and figurative cutting of corners. You have to go against it with that. You have to go. You can't just waltz on in and, hey, let's end human trafficking. You know, you got to lock and load and be like, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it. If we're not going to do it, let's not do it. 
So I think it's beautiful. Well, as I said, I'm, I'm giving it everything I've got. You are. And I have to leave now, Alas. I, I know. I, oh, I hate I, to. No, I, you said 30 minutes. I got you. I'm sorry. I didn't cut okay, it off. Okay, but please invite me back because, okay, here, here I, I, I want to motivate you to invite me back. Okay. Here it is. Okay. After I've had a month or so of voice coaching, let's see if, if, if there's a difference. Absolutely. I would love it. It would be fun to, to find out. That, well, I was going to ask you. I said, you have to come back on and see if I can tell. Because otherwise, you got to go smack your voice coach around. But yeah, I'm Mitzi. You are always allowed on this podcast. You have a running. You have a running guest slot. The very few I love, people love, have I love that. It. Very very few guests have that. But I've given them running guest slots, less than five, where they can just walk well, on. You're just absolutely the great greatest. And five years from now, I'm going to say. I knew him before he was rich and famous. Yeah, you do. You can be like, hey, look, I was on I was on episode 226, you know, and now he's on episode <laughs> 5000. I was there in the originals. I was there when he was still above his parents' garage, right? Yeah. it's <laughs> So there you go. Thank you, Mitzi. Mitzi Purdue, winthisfight.org, and I'll put it in the description in the top comment. And I will email you with those guests we discussed before I started recording that I would definitely love to follow up on. Sound good? Until next time, and I look forward to it very, very much. All right, Missy, thank you so much. Stay safe, God bless, and thank you for everything you do. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>